Good morning, CBC. Once again, welcome. As always, so grateful and glad that you're here with us. We are making our way through the book of Romans, and today's section that we'll be looking at is chapter 8, verse 17 through 30. So if you're following along with us, go ahead and turn there now, and we'll jump in in about a couple minutes. But back in 2006, after Amber and I were married, after I had graduated from seminary, we packed up our stuff, loaded the U-Haul, and made our way to Glendale, Arizona to begin our new life there. And for that first year that we were there, because we were newlyweds, we had our own place, didn't have any kids, uh, oftentimes our friends who were still here in California would, would come and visit us and stay with us. And virtually every time somebody would come and visit, one of the things that we would always do was go to a restaurant in downtown Phoenix called Pizzeria Bianco. And it was a, a tiny restaurant, only about 15 to 20 people could fit at one time, only open for dinner, no takeouts, no reservations. But in 2006, it was named the best pizza in the country over any place in New York, Chicago, downtown Phoenix, best pizza in the country by Oprah herself. So it was always jam-packed. On any given weekday evening, uh, at least the one to two hour wait, weekends at least two to three, sometimes even four hours. And because a lot of times our friends would visit us in the weekends, Amber and I spent a good chunk of our first year in Arizona waiting outside a pizzeria, Bianco. For most of us, there are certain things in our life that we are willing to wait for. Maybe it's a favorite restaurant. Maybe it's a favorite ride at Disneyland. For some of us, maybe it's waiting for tickets, for a movie, a concert, a sporting event, whether it's in an actual line or behind a computer. Some of us will wait all day for food to cook, to smoke a piece of meat, for soup to simmer. Some of us will travel hours, even days, to visit our favorite vacation spot, to see a beautiful landmark, to visit family or friends. Some of us will be, wait years, maybe half a lifetime, for an investment to grow, for stocks to increase, for property to appreciate. And the reason we wait for those things, because in the end, we believe it'll be worth it. The more we want something, the more we value something, the more we're willing to wait. The higher the expectation, the greater the anticipation, the easier it is to endure the wait, perhaps even enjoy it. And in the same way, as we'll see in our passage this morning, our expectation, our anticipation for what God has in store is what helps us to endure, perhaps even enjoy the challenges that we face today. Verse 17, Paul writes, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in the eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, uh, you know that Paul spends the majority of chapter 8 telling us the many benefits that we receive through the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. The Spirit uh, enables us to, to have life and peace. He affirms our salvation, assures us of forgiveness and grace, empowers us to overcome sin, convinces us that God is Abba, Father, and that we are adopted as sons and daughters, elevated to the status of sonship. Yet what Paul is saying here in this section is that while all of this is true, while we have the Holy Spirit who is with us and for us, and while he's at work doing all these things, life will still be hard. We will still experience suffering and hardship. We will face trials and temptation. We will experience challenges and difficulties. Most of us don't need convincing that life can be hard, especially after this past year. Being a follower of Jesus, trusting Jesus, serving Jesus, loving Jesus can be challenging at times. Things like overcoming sin, resisting temptation, surrendering, repenting, loving, forgiving, those things aren't easy. In addition, uh, we face all of the same challenges that everybody else faces. We're not immune to things like sickness, disease, pain, death. We are immersed in a world filled with sin, selfishness, greed, anger, violence, injustice. Life on this earth is hard. But what Paul says is that all of it will one day be worth it. That in fact, he says that everything we face today will one day seem like nothing in comparison to the glory that we will experience then. That all of the hardship, that all of the challenges will one day seem minuscule to the glory and the joy we will one day experience. And the glory that, that Paul is referring to is in verse 19. It's that day when, as he writes, the children of God will be revealed. Now, he doesn't go into details, but what's implied is that there will come a day when our status as God's sons and daughters, it will be made fully public. 
it will be revealed. It will be overwhelmingly evident, undeniably obvious that one day we will finally and fully be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That one day we will get new bodies, just like the one Jesus got, and we will be holy and perfect, just like Jesus. And Paul says that that day, when God's glory is revealed in us, it's going to be so splendid, so spectacular, so blindingly powerful, that all of creation is eagerly and anxiously awaiting that day. How profound is that? That the beaches, the mountains, the sun, the moon, the stars, the plants and the flowers, all the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, every living creature, my dog Olaf, they are eagerly and anxiously awaiting the day that God's glory is revealed in us. And the reason they're anxiously awaiting that day is because when our glory is revealed, it will envelop all of creation. That when we are renewed, redeemed, restored, all of creation will be renewed, redeemed, restored, made perfect for the rest of eternity. So all of creation eagerly awaits that day for God's glory to be revealed in us and through us. But Paul says not only does creation eagerly await that day, but, but we eagerly await that day. We wait patiently, but we are eager. We yearn, we groan for that day to come. Now, I think for, for some of us, perhaps many of us, this can sound a little strange. Maybe it sounds uh, weird. And because it can seem foreign, maybe it's hard to, to wrap our minds around and fathom, but oftentimes, because of that, we don't always think about it. And we don't always talk about it as much as we could or as much as we should. But in verse 24, Paul says this. He says, in this hope, we were saved. In this hope, we were saved. In other words, as strange as it might sound, this is what we were saved for. This is what we patiently await. This is why we signed up. This is why we trust Jesus. This is why we devote our one and only life to do life with God, under God, for that. So that one day we will be able to perfectly do life with God, under God, and for God. This is why we choose to live lives that are frowned upon, ridiculed, rejected, persecuted. This is why we strive to love, to serve, to obey. This is why we surrender our wants and our desires for God's wants and His desires. Look what author and writer C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity. It says, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a God or goddess, little g. 
a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. He meant what he said. Now the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning in light of all this is are we looking forward to this? Is this what we patiently await? Is this what we yearn for? Groan for? And if so, do our lives reflect it? Does our hope in our glory help us to endure the challenges we face today? Does it influence and impact our thoughts and our attitude, our feelings and emotions, our choices and our decisions, everything we say yes to, everything we say no to? You see, how we live reflects what we want, what we hope for. A few weeks ago, I, I came home from work, and when I walked inside, I found Amber sitting and looking on her phone, reading something. And I can tell right off the bat that something was bothering her, that she was slightly annoyed. So as I got closer, she, she looks at me, and she was kind of visibly disturbed, and she says to me, hey, uh, why didn't we ever buy Bitcoin? And initially, I kind of laughed, assuming that she was joking, which she kind of was, but she also kind of wasn't. And she says, seriously, you know, back in 2012, 2013, why didn't we buy Bitcoin? Translation, why didn't you buy Bitcoin? Well, my response to her was, well, back in 2012, 2013, if I would have known what Bitcoin was, and still fuzzy to this day, but if I would have known what it was, if I would have known how it worked, if I would have known how to purchase it, and if I would have known that it would have gone from 40-some dollars to 40,000-some dollars, then I would have been all in on Bitcoin. I would have sold our house, I would have sold our cars. I would have sold all my stuff. I would have sold all her stuff. I would have sold all my kids' stuff. We'd be living with my parents, getting around on mountain bikes. I would have been all in on Bitcoin, and I would have told everyone I know, well, not everyone, people I cared about, about Bitcoin. But I didn't know. Look at what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. See, what Jesus is saying is that if we truly know what we have, if we truly understood what we've been given, then our lives would reflect it. See, following Jesus was never meant to be easy. Jesus himself didn't have it easy. Waking up early in the morning, praying, fasting, sometimes several days at a time. Sure, it wasn't always easy, especially physically. Loving people who were imperfect, who were sinful, who were awkward, uncomfortable, weird, strange, being rejected, persecuted, humiliated. Enduring the cross, experiencing separation from the Father. It wasn't easy. And thus, being a follower of Jesus, growing to become like Jesus, isn't meant to be easy. Resisting temptation, overcoming sin, striving to love, serve, obey, being rejected, persecuted, having faith and hope amidst challenges, it's, it's not always easy. Yet what Paul says is that it's worth it. It's worth it. And our lives need to reflect that. And for some of us, that's a little easier said than done. For some of us, uh, some days are better than others. Some, some minutes are better than others. And Paul knows that. God knows that. And look what he says next. Verse 26 to 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, for those of us who aren't perfect yet, for those of us who, who still struggle, this is an encouragement to us. This is a reminder that we are not alone, that we have the Holy Spirit, which is what chapter 8 is all about. In addition to no condemnation, never ever. In addition to being adopted as sons and daughters. In addition to all the other ways the Spirit helps us. One way the Spirit helps us in our weakness is that He prays for us. That the Spirit searches the deep recesses of our soul. He sees our pain, our hurt, our wounds. He knows our fears, our insecurities. He sees our sins and our struggles. He sees our flaws and our weaknesses. And because he's all-knowing, he knows exactly what we need. He knows what would be helpful and good. So he prays on our behalf. And Paul says he prays with wordless groans, which means we don't understand what the prayer, what he's praying for. We don't need to know. 
We don't even have to agree. The Spirit is praying on our behalf. And what the Spirit prays for is in perfect alignment with what the Father wants. Because the two are pretty close. And because the Spirit and the Father are throwing Jesus too, because they're all on the same page, because they're all on the perfect agreement, then what the Spirit asks for, the Father always says yes. How amazing and profound is that? That even when we're struggling, even in in moments where we turn our backs on God, take Him for granted, times when we struggle with doubt and disbelief, times when we struggle to pray, don't pray, pray for the wrong things or pray for the right things for the wrong reasons, even in our weakest, darkest moments, the Spirit is praying for us, interceding on our behalf, praying for our good. And everything he asks for, the Father is answering with a yes. And you see, it's in this context that Paul then writes what's become one of the more popular passages in Scripture. Verses 28 to 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, Paul isn't saying that our lives are going to be easy or comfortable. That's not what God is working toward. Life will be hard. Life will be challenging and difficult. The good that Paul is referring to, the good that God is working for, is us growing to become more like Jesus. It's what we were saved for. It's why we choose to follow. It's what we patiently await. As we close our our time here this morning, wherever you may be in your relationship with God, regardless of, of our struggles, our weaknesses, our imperfections, May you be encouraged this morning as we are reminded that we are not alone. That as hard as this Romans series has been for some of us, as challenging as it may be, as heavy as it may feel, we need to remember that Romans isn't about what we need to do, but it's about what God has done for us what he's doing in us and for us right now through the Holy Spirit and what he will one day do. And because it's about what God is doing, we can rejoice. We can find comfort. We can know peace. And we can live this life with confidence. 
and hope. Please pray with me. Good and gracious Father, we thank you and we praise you for the hope that we have in you. To imagine that one day you will reveal your glory in us and through us is beyond our understanding. But we thank you. We praise you. We look forward to that day. And God, I pray that you would help all of us to live with that hope and that confidence in the forefront of our minds. And the hope we have in you would enable us to find strength and peace and even joy in the challenges and in the trials that we face today. So God, I ask that you give us more faith to believe, that you give us more of your presence, that you enable us to trust and embrace the work of your Spirit. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen.